If I were to ask you, what is the difference between a hope and a wish, what would you say? Now, don't answer yet. I want you to take a moment to think about it. But if someone came up to you and, and asked you, not necessarily for a definition, but just asked you, what is the difference between a hope and a wish, what would you say? You can speak now. My first thought was wish would be frivolous. Wish would be frivolous? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, hope would be, be you know, that's just the first thought. Hope would be continuing. But that the wish is frivolous because I wish I had a new car. I wish I had a new job. I wish I had more money. Rub a lamp, get three wishes. Okay. It's frivolous. It's the right now. Okay. think about it. But hope endures. Mine was like a wish could be something that you see. Uh, like I wish I had that. I wish I had that piece of cheesecake. That just <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, whereas a hope, it, like Evelyn said, is 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 an enduring. Um, uh, if it's like you you could be looking, setting your heart on something that you don't see. It's a waiting. Okay. It can be a waiting for things you don't see. Okay. Anybody else? Wish seems more concrete to me. Wish is more concrete. And hope is definitely more spiritual. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's just how it seems to me. I mean, it's like I can wish for things, but like I, when it comes to hope, it seems like that's what hope's based on. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you have hope in? You know. Um, See, I saw the exact opposite. You did. <laughs> hope. That I would classify the two in terms of their likelihood to come true. Hope is uh, you would hope, class hope. We have hope because we know that it's going to happen. And that's okay. The, I can't remember. That's the, kind of the way I kind of think. And a wish is like, you know, yeah. I wish I, you know, I wish I had a million dollars, whatever, whatever your wish would be, but it's just like out there, like. But a hope, hope is, and I think more. Yeah, more, right, more, more valuable. Like I have hope that my kids will return to walking with the Lord. I don't wish that they would, because that means that it's kind of like, yeah, and, my, and that's just my. Opinion. Yeah, right, right. But okay, so you don't say I have wish. I have wish. You do say I have hope. Hope is more final. More hope is a belief, I think. Sure. I, I have wish. Maybe that's it, but there's something behind it. Wish is like there's an origin. Hope, hope yeah. means that we have reason to believe that it may come true. Yeah, it's okay. you desire or strongly want, but yeah, you if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, then you're not happy. Okay. I think of the birthday candle. Make a wish, you know. <laughs> and it's like.
Wishes are wishes are temporal. Temporal, okay. Temporal, if you're a man's world and hope okay. ends. Yeah. Your desire if your desire is all about hope and God okay. and eternal things, your wishes are too important. Because hope and wish are both the desire. But yet that hope is something that is probably a certain thing to happen. And okay. the wish, like I said, you don't know if it's gonna happen or not. Okay. Because of where it's placed. Well, before we get too far into this, because you, I mean, you're all exactly exactly where my thoughts are and where my thoughts were as I was preparing this, um, I want to remind us of a story. I mean, if you want to look it up, it's in Genesis. It covers a number of chapters, like 37 all the way through towards the end. Um, but it, the story is the story of Joseph and his multicolored coat, the dreamer. And I'm not going to take the time this morning to read all of the different parts of the story because it literally is from 37 all the way through to 50-something. But, but think about Joseph's story. Joseph was um, one of the youngest members of his house. He was the child, the firstborn child of the favorite wife, okay, the father, in a very dysfunctional way, singled the child out as the favorite and made it very known to the rest of the family that this child was his favorite, which caused great animosity amongst the entire family. So there's a lot of dysfunction in Joseph's world, and whether or not, as a child, he was aware of it, sometimes, it, I think he, from the way I read his story, I think he kind of manipulated some stuff in his world. Um, somebody's sending me text messages, and I keep forgetting to put it on, don't talk to me when I'm preaching. All right. I do it on my phone, but I keep forgetting to do it on the iPad. Um, so Joseph, I think, was a manipulative little so-and-so when he was younger, quite honestly. I think he learned how to play that game in his dysfunctional world, and he made it to his, his own benefit, which just exacerbated the challenge of being the favorite child in a dysfunctional house. And the end result is, if you remember, some point in his life, it has to have been when he's an adolescent, because a child wouldn't be able to, well, a child maybe could do it. He could probably have a dream and be able to, to, to be excited and share it. Could be that he was like nine or ten years old, but he had a dream. And his dream was that there were all of these uh, uh, sheaves of, of grain that came, that were t together, and there were twelve of them. And each one represented one of the children in the house. And all 11 of the sheaves that represented his brothers bowed down to his sheaf. And when he shared that, that just made his brothers love him so much more. <laughs> and they called him Dreamer. <laughs> and they were like, you've got to be kidding me if you think I'm ever going to bow down to you. Well, then he has another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and all the stars bow down to him. And he's 
intelligent enough and naive enough and young enough to go, hey, guess what? I had a dream last night. This is what happened. And his father then enters into the stuff and goes, excuse me, who do you think you are? You think your mother and I are going to bow down to you? But there was something about his dreams that he believed. I can't point to you the verse and chapter, but I believe what we get from this story is that he owned this as something from God. That this was a prophetic word spoken over him in the form of dreams. That God was going to raise Joseph up at some point in his life to the point where every member of his household would bow down to him. So it wasn't a dysfunctional thing. I believe that Joseph truly had what, if you want to call it a vocation, God speaking and saying, this is your destiny. This is what I have planned for you. This is where you will be someday. And Joseph walked in that, owning that, believing that. Now, again, I can't show you chapter and verse that says that, but I, I can get that. I can infer that from the story. Now, we know that at one point, the, older, the brothers all go up with the sheep, and they're gone for a while, and Joseph's father says, hey, I want you to go find out how your brothers are doing. Last I heard, they were in, I, I don't remember the town. So he goes to that place, but they've left there, and they're now in a place called Dothan. And so uh, I think it was Shechem is where they went. And then they went from there. They went to Dothan. And uh, Joseph uh, meets somebody in, the, in, the, in the, the fields out in Shechem area. And he says, what are you doing out here? And he says, well, I'm looking for my brothers. And they said, oh, I heard that they were, that heard them. They left and they went over to Dothan. So Joseph then walks over to Dothan. And as Joseph is heading into that area, his brothers see him coming in his multicolored clothing. And they start, there's that dreamer, there's that, and we should have him out of our life. And they finally, they grab him, they throw him into a pit. Now, they had originally talked about killing him, but the oldest boy, Reuben, said, let's not kill him, just throw him into a pit. And it says, the scriptures say, because Reuben had a plan that he was going to rescue him and bring him back to his father later. Well, somehow Reuben is out of the picture for a few minutes. Some Midianite travelers come through. The guys throw a rope down to Joseph, help him out of the pit, and then sell him to these Midianites. And they take him in as a slave to Egypt. And Reuben comes back and is distraught to find out that his brother Joseph has been sold into slavery. And that's the end of the story. They'll never see him again. But then we know, because we've read the book, that Joseph is sold to Potiphar. And God blesses Joseph, everything Joseph does. It's like gold, everything. And so Potiphar recognizes the blessing on this guy's life. And so Potiphar puts him in charge of everything in his house, except for his wife. And so Joseph has full control of absolutely everything. He can make commands, and the servants have to do. He can make plans, and everyone has to follow the plans. The only thing that's withheld from him is access to the wife. And the wife starts lusting after this young, strong, strapping young man. And you know the story, she ends up trying to seduce him. The end result is that he refuses to dishonor God. And he, he pulls away, even leaving his coat there. And she lays it on her bed. And then when her husband comes home, she accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. Potiphar believes her wife instead of Joseph. And Joseph is thrown into prison. And then Joseph stays in prison for a number of years. And then the day comes when Joseph uh, is in prison. And the 
chief cupbearer and the chief baker from Pharaoh are thrown into the prison. And they both have dreams on the same night. And Joseph, they're all distressed. And somebody says, well, I know Joseph. That, that guy that, that uh, Potiphar threw in here, he can interpret dreams. So somehow Joseph is still associated with dreams and believing dreams and interpreting dreams. And so Joseph hears the dreams of the baker and he hears the dreams of the cupbearer. And he says to the cupbearer, your dream is saying that you're going to be going back to service with the king. And when you do, remember me. Tell him that I'm down here without cause. Tell him my story. And then he says to the chief baker, I'm sorry, but your dream says you're going to be dying in three days. And that's exactly what happened. In three days, the baker dies and the the cupbearer goes back to be with the king. And he forgets all about Joseph. And it says in the scriptures that Joseph is another two years or so in jail. And then finally, the Pharaoh has this dream that no one can interpret. And someone goes, and then the cupbearer goes, oops, I'm sorry. I just remembered something. And he tells the Pharaoh about Joseph. Joseph comes. He uh, interprets the dream properly. And then Pharaoh raises Joseph up and he literally becomes number two in all of Egypt. And then the famine happens. And then Joseph's brothers come and have to bow down before Joseph. And then, when they come the second time, they have to bow down before Joseph. And then, Joseph's entire family moves to to Egypt, and they all have to bow down before the number two in Egypt. So God's word came true. Joseph actually saw the, the end result of, if you will, the hope that, uh, of what had been spoken over him. <clears throat> but the challenge was, and, and, and I, I can't remember who said it, it might have been Renee that said it, that this was something that's long out. It, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen next week. It's not something that, that I can see right now. It's something that this this word that God spoke over Joseph, this 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 who you will be, was like 15, 20 years, 30 years later, before it actually came to fruition. And Joseph had to live his day by day life, holding on to the words that had been spoken over him, saying, "I believe, I hope, I think this is what's going to be. I hope." Doesn't look like it's going to come to pass. I mean, it looks hopeless that these words were true. I didn't make them up. I didn't try to make up these dreams. They came to me. I believe that they're from God. But everything in me is saying, give up hope in that prophecy that was spoken over you by those dreams. Because how in the world is it ever going to happen? How in the world? You're in jail here, in a prison, in the, in the dungeons of Egypt. How in the world are these dreams ever going to come to pass? But he believed and he owned. And God eventually did make it happen. Now, that's the end of Joseph's story. There is a scripture that's been on the screen in front of you all morning long. It is probably the most abused, marketed scripture. It's on plaques, it's on cross-stitch, it's on placards, it's on bulletin boards, it's everywhere. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And every Christian in the Western world probably has that placard. It's somewhere in their home right now. 
But what hope are you holding on to? What plans are you trusting in? Because if you go back and read Jeremiah chapter 29, well, let's just do that. Because quite honestly, you're appropriating somebody else's word for your own ends. Jeremiah didn't proclaim this to all believers in God. He certainly didn't proclaim it to Christians because there weren't Christians back then. He proclaimed it to a specific group of people. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm reading for the very first verse. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So these words spoken by a prophet of God were spoken to or written to the people who had been pulled out of Jerusalem and taken captive to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and Queen Mother the Eunuchs, the officials of Jude and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had all departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And it said, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so this is not just Jeremiah writing an encouraging word to somebody. This is Jeremiah speaking prophetically the word of God, a, a prophecy over this group of people that have been taken into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile, whom I have sent into exile. God. From Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them declares the Lord. For thus the Lord says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will assist you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be, get, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, this passage of Scripture... This word from God is specifically given 
to the people who are in exile, and it says to them some very clear and specific things. Number one, live your life. Don't sit here constantly going, oh, we're going to go home next week. Oh, we're going to go home next week. Because those are wishes that are never going to come true. I have already declared, I have already set into concrete my plans for you. And my plans for you do not include bringing you back to Jerusalem in the next three weeks or month or year or even five or ten years. It's going to be a full 70 years. Why? There's a lot of reasons why. And we're not going to go into it now. But the reality is, folks, anyone who tells you other than what I'm telling you right now is lying to you and trying to deceive you. And you need to hold on to this truth and this truth alone. I have a certain and specific plan for you, and it does not include you going back to Jerusalem anytime soon. So get used to what you're living right now. Because this is where you are planted and this is how you should continue to live your life. And establish yourselves in your new home. Live your daily life. Give and receive in marriage. Set up a household. Plant your plants. Don't just sit there going, oh, someday we're going to go home. Because that's not what this is about. And if any of your quote-unquote prophets tell you otherwise, know that they're lying to you. Because I, the Lord, am declaring to you, this is my plan for you. And you, when the time comes, when you cry out to me, it will happen. When you seek me with all of your heart, it will happen. I will be found by you. And I will restore you to the land. That is your hope. But that hope is for the future. That hope is not for tomorrow or next week. And so, as we're, as we're looking at these two different scenarios, Joseph and his dream, the, the prophetic word spoken over him, and the people in exile in Babylon who have had this prophetic word spoken over them, God has said, in both cases, there is a hope for you. And that hope will come about. I declared it. It's not going to not happen. It will happen. But in my time, and in my plan. And what you need to do, both of you, is you need to live your life. If you want to use the really bad expression, bloom where you are planted. Do what you need to do to live a life and to enjoy your life. And trust and know that I have a plan and my plan will come about. But it may not be the way you think it's going to be. But ultimately, you can put your hope in the fact that I have it all together and it is going to come about the way I have decreed. But you need to clearly seek me and listen for my voice and know what I am actually saying to you, not your wishful, hopeful dreams that somebody else is going to come alongside you. Yeah, that's exactly what I understand too. Because that's all lies. That's all deceit. Let me give you a story out of my own life. I was going to Bible college in 2000, uh, from 1998 to 2003. I was working at a Christian ministry in the call center. I won't name the call, the Christian ministry, because I don't want to in any way disparage that Christian ministry, but let me tell you, working in a call center anywhere, regardless of whether it's a Christian ministry or not, is not a fun job. 
It is eight to nine hours a day of drudgery. Hi, thank you for calling. We love you so much. How can we take your money down? <laughs> and it is honestly, well, the, the words that were given to me in training were, this is a great place to work, except you have to work with human beings. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> and then when I got upset over something and spoke to my supervisor about my upset, and I was pretty animated in my upset, the next day I got brought into a counseling session and they pulled out the scripture card. <laughs> Respect your elders. Look at your own self and figure out why you've got all this issue because otherwise you're going to be terminated. What? Because I feel like I'm being poorly treated? Because I feel like you're not doing things the way you said you'd be doing them and I, I challenge you on that? But they played this whole manipulative little blah, blah, blah game. And it was just the way it was. So every time a job opening came up in, within, in, within inner, inner office memos, anything that I could possibly, possibly qualify for, I would apply for. Because I had to get out of that place. I couldn't stand working in that place. And I worked in that place for over two years before God finally pulled me out. But at one point during my college career, oh, I forgot to tell you, when I first got to college, by the, by the spring of my first year of, my, of college, I was on two separate tracks. One was an associate's degree in biblical studies, which was all of the ordination requirements for the Church of the Nazarene. The other one was uh, my, my Christian counseling degree, and that one um, I had a lot of electives that I was able to bring in from previous years of a college experience and other associate's degrees that I had. So that track, my bachelor's degree track, I was already considered a senior by the end of my spring semester, even though I'd only been in, class, in, in, in the school for a year. So I had two tracks going. In one, I was already a senior and only had a few classes left. And then the other one, I still had a bunch of classes to take, so I was a freshman. So... In a, in a couple of years from then, I started the counseling program, the actual cohort, which was a full 12-month plan. And at the end of the 12 months, I had completed all the classes necessary, and I was qualified to apply for graduation from that program, which would have meant an assignment of a bachelor's degree. But I still had at least one more year to go to finish my associate's degree so that I could be ordained in the Church of Nazarene. Well, there was a job at this Christian ministry that required a bachelor's degree, and I was going to go ahead and just get my bachelor's degree so that I could get into that job because I would enjoy it so much better than where I was. So I went ahead and applied to the school and got myself scheduled for graduation, and I announced, I sent out the graduate notices to my family, and everyone, everyone came, and it was a wonderful family gathering. We had the graduation. I walked across the stage. They put the towel on my arm and handed me my, my degree, and it was just wonderful. And then everybody went home, and then the next week I had to start school for my associate's degree. And people were like, you're still in the school? I thought you graduated. Well, it's a long story, blah, blah, blah. But I've got my bachelor's degree now, so I'm applying for this job. And I prayed about it, and the Lord said, no. I said, but God, I got my degree. He said, who told you to graduate? Did I tell you that this was what I wanted for you? No, you can't do it. You're, you will be out of my will if you try. And so I was spiritually prohibited from even putting out the application. And I was just 
It literally, for a few months, I was like, what did I do wrong? How did I miss here? What did I, what did I, I, I thought I was walking in the path that God had laid for me. But the reality was, I was so miserable, and I was so desiring to get out of where I was, that I made up this whole thing about, well, God's got it all orchestrated because, look, I'm already a senior and I can get my degree and that's my ticket out of here. And my plan was not God's plan because God needed me where I was. And that did not include this other job. Now, I can look back now, 20 years ago, and say, yeah, I see all of that now. I can see perfectly where that was now and why I had to be where I had to be when I had to be there. But in the midst of all of the and the day-to-day and the garbage, I couldn't because I was so blinded by my discomfort and so blinded by my frustration and so blinded by the fact that I just wanted to get out of there by any stretch of the imagination, just get me out of here, that I made up a whole thing that was God's will. And it's just like these prophets speaking to the exiles in Babylon. God's going to rescue you from Babylon and send you back to Jerusalem. It's going to happen in this year. In this calendar year, you trust. God's going to do it. Oh, good. God spoke over us and we're going home. And then January 1st rolls around and we're still in Babylon. I thought God spoke over me. But God had already spoken through Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had said, when any of these people try to prophesy over you these things, just know that they're lies. Because they're not what my plan is. You need to know my word. You need to know what I've declared. You need to clearly discern what I have said, and then you live in that. Regardless of your day-to-day, regardless of how much discomfort you may be going through. You have to know that you know that you know what I have declared and spoken over you and then hold on to that as your hope instead of allowing the enemy to try and deceive you or cause problems for you. It was the same with Joseph although nobody was trying to deceive him necessarily except his circumstances. Because everything in his world, especially back then, was he would never see his family again. So how in the world could God ever, ever bring about what he had spoken? But God had a plan, and God knew what God needed, and God knew that he needed Joseph, who had the gifts, the talents, the ability, the skill... He had to have him exactly at the right moment, at the right time, so that he could be positioned, so that he could interact with that baker, I mean, with that uh, that cupbearer, so that at the exact moment that the dream came to the Pharaoh, the cupbearer could be the one close enough to the Pharaoh to speak about Joseph, to bring Joseph out of the jail, to save not only Joseph's family, but the entire known world at that point, because of God's plan for Joseph. None of that was spoken over him when he was 17. All he knew was that God gave him two dreams, that his family was going to bow down to him. That was all he knew. And he held on to that. And he lived 
in that hope that someday, somehow, someway, I don't know how it's going to happen, but someday that's going to be the case. Everything else, he just had to live his life day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, drudge by drudge. And just trust in his hope. And anything beyond that is just wishful thinking. And it was the same thing for the Babylonian exiles. It was the same thing for me. And I'll tell you, I'm not going to speak this one. But in 1980, I felt like God gave me a very clear, clear word about my future ministry. And quite frankly, as I sit in Two Rivers, Alaska, at the farthest north church of the Nazarene in the world, in tiny little community, ministering to less than 50 people at a time, how in the world could you ever bring that to be, God? That's not even possible. The Lord just keeps smiling. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't... He doesn't take it away. It's still there. The word is still spoken. Every time I've talked to him about it, he, he just says, just, just trust, just wait. My timing is perfect. When I can make anything happen that you can't even foresee, Bob. Just trust. All right. <laughs> and so what I want us to carry this week as we walk around thinking about hope, what does it mean to hope? Well, number one, it's not wish. As you guys have all said, wishing is, is ethereal. Wishing is never going to happen. Wishing is magical. Hope has substance. And one of the things that didn't get said but was unspoken, I think, was the reason hope has substance is that because of the one who spoke the word is trustworthy. If you know that this is a word from God, you can take it to the bank. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wish. You just say, I know that I know that I know because God clearly spoke this over me. And from from that day till this, I've held on to it as a hope. Even though nothing in my life today says that it's going to happen, I still hold out hope that the word of God will prove true in my life. And so as you walk this week, I want you to think about what it is that you hope Yes, we all hope that Jesus is going to return and take us to be with the Father. That's a given. We're all Christians. But about your life, what has been spoken over you by God that you know was from God? Do you truly own that? Do you truly hold on to that in hope? Or have you lost the vision? Let's pray.